I want to ask you to grab a Bible. Go ahead and turn to Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 12. We're going to be looking at, at verses 22 through 34. And as you're turning there, I, want to, I, want, I really want to begin by asking you three questions related to, to anxiety. And the first one is this. And you'll probably recognize this first question, but, but here it is. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Here's the second question. Who of you, by worrying, know that you probably haven't added a single hour to your life, but you've probably taken a few hours away from your life? Certainly, that's most of us, I would think. And then here's the third question. Who of you, by worrying, can improve your life in any way? I mean, what can, what can worry actually add to your life? So as you kind of think about it this way, you think if you can't extend your life by worrying and you, you probably can shorten your life by worrying uh, and you really can't improve your life by worrying, then why in the world do we worry? I, I, think, it would be, I think it would be just easy to say, we just need to stop worrying and that'd be the end of it. But we know it's not that simple. We know it's a little bit more complicated than that. So here's what I want to do today. I want us to look at a passage of scripture from Luke 12, where Jesus talks about uh, a pathway where we can be free from anxiety and worry. And I think what we're gonna see in this passage is that the gospel is the key to overcoming worry in our life. I, I think for a lot of us, when we think about the gospel, we think of uh, the gospel as something that non-Christians need, that the gospel is kind of the pathway to become uh, a part of the kingdom of God and a part of God's family. And, and once we make that step, we really don't need the gospel anymore. In other words, once we become a Christian, we kind of graduate to, to deeper things and, and, and more significant things in the Christian faith. And that's really not true. It's really a myth. And what I want us to see today is that the longer we're a Christian, the more we're going to lean on the gospel. That the more we want to grow in our faith, the more we've got to dig into the gospel. And so that's what I want us to kind of see as we, as we consider this entire topic of, of anxiety in a, in a world that's full of anxiousness. So let's look at what Jesus says about anxiety because I think it's absolutely profound. Let me read to you uh, Luke 12, verses 22 through 34. This is what Jesus says. And he says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, then why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, 
Seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. And then in verse 32, Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, before we begin by looking at really what Jesus says in this passage about anxiety, I want to just, I really want to just lay some foundation and give you a a couple of important truths uh, to kind of help frame uh, the message today. And the first one is this, that anxiety is really an opportunity to trust God. My father-in-law, Woody Church, was a pastor and he was a biblical counselor, and he would always say that problems are opportunities to grow, that problems are opportunities to learn to rely on God uh, more significantly, that they're opportunities to really grow in our faith. And I think, I think the truth is very similar to this, that anxiety is an opportunity to trust God. I want you to think about your purpose in life. You know, this is something that is easy for us to forget because we get so busy with the world and we get so distracted by the messages that the world bombards us with. But I really want you to think about your purpose in life. Your purpose in life is not your happiness. Your purpose in life is not your comfort. Your purpose in life is is not pleasure. Your purpose in life is not acquiring money and acquiring things. Uh, Your purpose in life is really not about accomplishment and achievements. The Bible says that your purpose in life is to become like Jesus Christ. That God the Father has an agenda for you and His agenda is to make you like His Son, Jesus. He wants your character to reflect the character of Jesus. And so the bottom line is this, that God has you in a renovation project right now. And learning to trust Him is a big part of the reno that God is doing in your heart and in your character. And so practically what this means is that God allows circumstances in our life to grow us and to change us and to teach us to trust in Him. So that's the first foundational truth that that anxiety is really just an opportunity to trust God. But the second one is closely related, and it's this, that we can trust God because God is sovereign. Now, the word sovereign is is a theological term. It just means that God is in control, that that He is large and in charge, that God holds our lives and this entire world in His hands, that He is sovereign. And what we see from Scripture is that God is sovereign over nature, that God created nature, He sustains nature, and He can override nature. But not only is God in control of of nature, but He's in control of human history as well. That God holds human history in His hands. That He has a plan and a purpose for human history. That He is taking us to a destination. That that God is leading humankind to to really a glorious consummation of His plan and His will and his plan will not be stopped. And then we see the sovereignty of God really in all of our own lives. Just very practically, God was sovereign over our birth. He's he's sovereign over when we will die, and he's sovereign over our entire lives every day in between. So he knows knows how long we're going to live and where we would live. He is sovereign over every single area of our life. And so what we're seeing with the coronavirus today uh, is, the, is really just a product of the fact that we live in a fallen world. When we think of 
disease and we think of natural disasters, we think of, of a pandemic like this one, and we, and we think about death. All of those things are a result of a fallen, sin-cursed world. They're really a result of, of uh, the consequences of human sin and rebellion against God. And the truth is this, we, we really don't know why God has allowed uh, this coronavirus to happen, but what we do know is this, that God works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And so the reason why we can trust a sovereign God is because, because God can take all things and use it for good. And the reason why He can use all things for good is because He's sovereign. So we really, we really can trust God because He's sovereign. Now, if God is not sovereign, we really can't trust Him and we shouldn't trust Him. Now, as I kind of think about the sovereignty of God, I, I, I realize when I start thinking about and talking about the sovereignty of, sovereignty of God, many people start thinking in, uh, in terms of determinism. They hear this concept that God is sovereign and they think, uh, well, that just means that, that humankind doesn't have choice, that human beings can't make free choices. And so God kind of determines everything and and we're just robots and we're just puppets on the string. And I think that's how a lot of people hear when we teach about the sovereignty of God. But here's what I want to share with you today, that the scripture does not teach determinism at all. The scripture teaches that God is, that, that God is sovereign and that, that humankind is free to make choices. The scripture teaches God's sovereignty and it also teaches humankind's responsibility. It's kind of like this. Imagine yourself playing a game of chess with God. Now, there's no question who's going to win the game. God is obviously uh, going to win the game. But within the play of the game, you're free to make choices on that chessboard. And so while we know that, that uh, the outcome of that game is, is, is certainly certain and sure, we're still, to, to, we're still free to make choices um, as we play the game. And I think it's, it's very similar in, in life and in our relationship with God. We know that God is sovereign, but He's also given us ability to make choices according to His goodness and grace. And so this is particularly relevant as we think about this whole topic of anxiety, because the bottom line is this, as Christians, we have the choice to make. Are we going to trust God or are we going to be anxious? And so really the choice is up to you. And so what I want to talk about just in our time left uh, together is I want to talk about what Jesus says anxiety does to us. So when we make the choice to be anxious, Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, anxiety does three things to us. And I want to just share those three things with you today. The first thing that anxiety does is anxiety really blinds us to the goodness of God. Let me show you this in Luke 12, verse 22. Notice what Jesus says. He, he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will wear or put on. And so what Jesus is saying is he's saying, I don't want you to be anxious. I don't want you to be anxious. I want you to make the choice to trust God is what he's saying. But look at verse 24 because he starts to give us the reason why. He says in verse 24, consider the ravens. Now, let's think about what, what it means, what the word consider means. 
That word consider very simply means to meditate. It means to think deeply on. It means to to give focused attention to. And so what Jesus says is, I want you to think deeply about the ravens. I want you to consider the ravens. And he, and he tells us what he wants us to think about. He says, they, don't, they, they neither sow nor reap. They, they neither storehouse, they, they neither have a storehouse or barn, and yet God feeds them. And then he says this, of how much more value are you than the birds? And so what Jesus is saying is, I want you to just meditate on the fact that that ravens, they don't, they don't sow and reap. They don't build storehouses and barns, yet God takes care of them. And you're much more valuable to God than a raven. And that's what he wants us to think about. But skip down to verse 27. Notice what he says. He says this, I want you to consider, and that word means to meditate, to think deeply about, to, to, to give your focused attention to, consider the lilies. And how they grow, he says. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And so he goes on to talk about how uh, lilies, they don't have to run out to Old Navy to buy clothes to clothe themselves. Why? Because God clothes them. God takes care of them. And they don't even last that long. And so if God takes care of the lilies, Jesus' whole point is he's going to take care of you. See, really what what Jesus is pointing us to is he's pointing us to the goodness of God in creation, that we serve a good, good father that loves to bless uh, his creation, his created order. And what Jesus is actually doing in this passage is he is making an argument from lesser to greater. And what Jesus is saying is this, that if God takes care of the ravens and the roses and he takes care of the birds and the begonias, he's going to take care of you. He's arguing from lesser to greater. If he's taking care of these smaller things, then most certainly he's going to take care of the most valuable things, and that's, and that's you and me. Now, what's fascinating about this is in verse 32, Jesus changes the argument. He's no longer arguing from lesser to greater. In verse 32, what we see is he changes it from greater to lesser. Let me share with you what he says in verse 32. He says this, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now think about that. What he's saying is this, that the father delights in, the father has pleasure in giving you the kingdom. That's the greater thing. So if God gives you the kingdom, and because we're, all, we're Christians, we're in Christ, we already have the kingdom, If he's given us the kingdom, then he's going to take care of our needs here on earth. How pleased was God to give you the kingdom? Now think about this. Think deeply about this. How pleased was he to give you the kingdom? He was so pleased he was willing to give up his son, what was most precious to him, so that his son would come and suffer and die for you and for me. And so... The point that Jesus is making is this. If God is willing to do all of that to get us to heaven, he's going to take care of us before we get to heaven. That's what he's talking about. He's arguing from greater to lesser. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. He says this. He says, listen to the voice of the Lord speak. I will help you. It is a small thing for me, your God, to help you. Consider what I've already done. 
What, not help you? I bought you with my blood. I died for you. And since I've done the greater, will I not do the lesser things for you? And so here you you see this whole argument of Jesus making a point, arguing from greater to lesser, that if God is willing to give us his kingdom, certainly he can take care of our daily needs. Now, here's the question. I mentioned to you that anxiety really blinds us to the goodness of God. So the question is, well, how does that happen? How do we become blind to the goodness of God? And how does anxiety really accomplish that? Well, I think the answer is in the word consider again. When we think about that word, it means to meditate, to think deeply, to give focused attention. And so when we worry about something, what we're doing is we're meditating on all the bad things that can happen to us. We're giving focused attention to all of these disturbing thoughts. And these disturbing thoughts just occupy our mind and they occupy our heart. And the result is anxiety. And so because we're so consumed with these disturbing thoughts, we begin to have disturbing feelings. And and we can't see the goodness of God. We can't see the love of God. And we can't see the care and the concern of God. And in reality, it doesn't even take that many disturbing thoughts to become blind to the goodness of God. It just takes a few of them. This week I was reading uh, uh, this interesting stat. According to the uh, Nation's Bureau of Standards, can can you even guess how much water it takes to create a dense fog over seven blocks? A dense fog that's a hundred feet deep that spans seven blocks. How much water does it take to create that dense fog that just kind of blinds us for seven blocks? What would be your guess? Well, let me share with you, according to the Bureau of Standards, less than a glass of water will create that dense of a fog. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, when you think about the things that we worry about, as soon as we start into that meditation process on these negative things, what it does is it creates a dense fog so that we can no longer see the promises of God and the goodness of God in our lives. So how do we change that? How do we, how do we change, um, how do we keep this anxiety from blocking us from seeing the goodness of God? I think the answer is pretty simple. I think the answer is change what you're thinking about. I think what we need to do is is give more thought to what we think about. And let me give you a couple of things that you could be thinking about. Let me share with you Isaiah 49, 16. The prophet Isaiah says this, he's speaking for God and he says this, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, God says, yet I will not forget you. So what he's saying is he's saying, you know, there there might be one in a trillion moms out there that might forget her nursing child. But God says, I will never forget you. And then he says this, behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Now, just think about that. Think about how this is a foreshadowing to the cross and how it reflects God's love for you and for me. One other thought that you may consider is just Romans 8.32. The Apostle Paul says this, He who did not spare his own son, 
but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So, so really, we need to be thinking about the price that God paid for us to, to know him and to experience his grace and salvation. And so really the bottom line is this, that anxiety really is, it's, it's an issue of faith. It, it really is an issue of, are we, are we going to trust God or are we going to doubt the promises of God? Are we really going to trust in the goodness of God and in the riches of God? And, or are we going to be worried and anxious? You know, I was uh, reading a, a, a book by Steve Deneff, and he is, he's, an, he's an author. And in this book, he's talking about the goodness of God. And, and Steve shares a, a time when he was in the sixth grade and, and uh, he had a great year academically, had his best year academically. And his dad took him to Kmart to, uh, to kind of reward him for a job well done in the classroom. And Steve says that he and his dad walked into Kmart. This was obviously a number of years ago. And he walked into Kmart and his dad said, I'll buy you anything in this store that you want. Just pick out one thing, whatever it is, I'll buy it for you. Now, Steve was in the sixth grade and, and, and what he said is, he said, you know, I really didn't know how much money I ha- his dad had and he really didn't know how money worked back then. And so in his own mind, he just kind of limited what he thought his dad could buy. And so, and so instead of going and checking out a, a, a high-end stereo set or a really nice bicycle, uh, Steve said, I, I walked over and I found a cassette recorder. And I, I grabbed that and said, this is what I want. It was very inexpensive. And uh, he walked out and he was thrilled with what his dad bought him. But here's the interesting thing. Steve said, Steve said that his dad told him years later that he had $1,000 cash in his back pocket. And not only did he have $1,000 cash, but he had a checkbook as well, just in case Steve went over. And what Steve said is, I had no idea what, what my father had planned. I had no idea the riches that my father had. And I think a lot of times what happens is anxiety blinds us to the riches of God's grace, where we no longer see them. We only see fear and we only experience these disturbing thoughts and feelings around us. And I think what Jesus is saying in this passage is anxiety blinds us to the goodness of God. So let's, let's, let's consider and think deeply about the goodness of God. But there's another impact that anxiety has on us. And it's, and it's this. Anxiety promises what it can't deliver. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage, that anxiety promises what it can't deliver. Here's here's the problem with worry. Um, The problem with worry is this. There's a little bit of pleasure in it. There's a little bit of of worry and anxiety that um, makes us feel a little bit better. And I think the reason why worry makes us feel a little bit better is because it lies to us. It deceives us. It's making promises to us that it cannot fulfill. Uh, for example, I, I, think, I think a lot of times worry will tell us that uh, we can do it and we can figure it out and we're on top of it and we can come up with a solution. And I think there's a, just a little bit of comfort in that. But the truth is this, worry really is a false prophet. 
It's a false prophet. That's what worry is. You know, in the Old Testament, the people of Israel consistently had to deal with false prophets. And these false prophets would, would come among the people and they would claim to be speaking for God. And yet they would give false solutions. They would give false teaching. And they would say that they're representing God. And really, Isaiah has a, a word that he had to describe false prophets. He would call them soothsayers because the false prophets often would just say things to make the people feel better, but they really weren't true. They were lies. And I think that's what worry and anxiety really does to us. It tells us, hey, you got this. You can do it. You can figure it out. You're able. And what we see in this passage, what Jesus is saying in this passage is really worry, is, worry promises what it can't deliver. In fact, what Jesus says is worry can't change anything. Look at verse 25. Look at what Jesus says. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Obviously, we know the answer to that. You can't, worry accomplishes nothing. Worry can't change anything. And so if you live to be 75 years old, you're gonna have 657,000 uh, hours in your life. And worrying cannot add a single minute to that time. Now just think about that. And so what Jesus wants us to see is that worry and anxiety make promises, but they can't deliver. And so worrying can't change anything. But here's the second thing, that uh, the second problem that I think Jesus has uh, with worry, and it's this, that, um, that we often think money and clothes and stuff, which are things that we often are anxious about and worry about, we think that those things and having those things define the good life. And that's really, a, that's really a lie. That's really a deception. That if I can just have enough money, then I can have the good life. If I can just wear the right clothes, if I can just have enough stuff, um, especially this week, if I can just have an extra roll or two of toilet paper, then I could be happy. And what Jesus is saying is this, your life is more than money. Your life is more than stuff. Uh, your life is more than toilet paper. You, you need food and you need clothing and yeah, you, you need toilet paper, but that those things do not define your life. In fact, look at what Jesus says in verse 23. He says it like this, for life is more than food and your body is more than clothing. And so we tend to think that, that uh, our money and our stuff, that defines the good life, but it really doesn't. There's something more significant out there that, that deserves our attention. Think of it this way. Would you ever define life as life equals your job? Would you ever define life that way as life equals your job? Or life equals being married? Or life equals perfect health? Or life equals clothes and beauty and you know being in style i think all of us know the answer to that question those things are a part of life but that's not the definition of life let me just give you the definition of life life is walking with jesus and trusting him to provide all of those things for your life that is really life now don't hear what jesus is not saying jesus uh, is not saying 
you know, as he's challenging us to trust in him. He's really not saying, you know, just be irresponsible and it'll all work out. That is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, just be lazy, just hang out on the couch, be irresponsible, don't, don't do anything, and it will all work out. That is not what he's saying. I think, I think at the heart of what Jesus wants us to understand is this, that we need to work hard. We need to fill out job applications. Uh, if we want to get married, we need to go out on dates. If we want to get into college, we need to study. We need to work hard. We need to do all of those things. But after you've done all of those things, trust God. Put your trust in God. And so in that way, you will see God's goodness and, uh, at work in your life. Here's the last thing. This is what anxiety does to us. Anxiety reveals who I'm devoted to the most. As we kind of think about the impact of anxiety on our life, Anxiety really reveals something. It reveals who I'm devoted to the most. Now, we typically think that, that anxiety is um, rooted in uh, the anxieties or in the uncertainties of life, things that we can't control. But really what we see in this passage, anxieties are rooted in our deepest desires. I, I heard Andy Stanley say it this way. Uh, he's a, Andy Stanley is a pastor and he said, he says it this way. He says, the things that you're most devoted to determine the things you worry about. Now, just think about that. The things that you're most devoted to are the things that you worry about. In other words, what is it that drives our anxieties in life? Well, it's our greatest devotions. Think of it this way. I'm not really worried about your kids' grades in school. I'm really not. Now, don't get me wrong. I want your kids to do well in school. Uh, but the truth is this, uh, your kids' grades are not keeping me up at night. And to be fair, I don't think my kids' grades are keeping you up at night. And, and likewise, in a similar manner, you know, the project that your boss has asked you to turn in next week that's, that's really big and important, the truth is I'm not really worried about that project that you've got to get done and turned in next week. I'm not really worried about it. Now, if you asked me to pray about it, I would pray about it, certainly. But I'm not really worried about uh, your kids' grades, and I'm not really worried about that project you're turned in. And the question is, why? Well, the, the answer is pretty simple. I'm not devoted to your job like you do, like you are. And I'm not devoted to your kids like you are. And so, and so the truth is this, the things that we are most devoted to are the things that we worry about, that they are a reflection of our deepest desires and our deepest devotions. But here's what I want you to consider. What would happen if you shifted your devotion? What would happen to your anxiety and to your worry if you shifted what you were devoted to? I think what Jesus is trying to say in this passage of scripture is he's really trying to get to the root of what we're devoted to the most. And what Jesus is saying is this, if you'll be, if you'll, if you'll be devoted to the kingdom of God, God the Father will take care of all these other things. You, won't, you don't have to live and worry because your main devotion, your main ambition is the kingdom of God. In fact, that's what Jesus says in verses 30 and 31. He says it this way, For all the nations of the world seek after these things, 
and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. So what Jesus is saying is pretty simple. He's saying, take the time that you have left on earth. Take the treasure, all the the material blessings that God has blessed you with. Take your talent, your gifts, and your abilities and place it Place it in God's hands and let the kingdom of God be your first concern. Another way of saying it would be take your past, take your present, and take your future and present it to God and let God be your highest ambition and your greatest devotion. And all of these other things will take care of themselves. I I love how C.S. Lewis talks about this. Uh, he talks about this very passage of Scripture, and he, and he describes it this way, and I, I just thought this was so good. He, he talks about in our lives, there are first things and there are second things. And he says that first things are things like our relationship with God. It, it, it's God, our relationship with God, and obeying God and doing the will of God. Those are first things. The second things are all the other things that we worry about like our our career and our finances and maybe our marriage, our kids, our families, relationships, all of those other things. And here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, if you put first things first, the first things will take care of the second things automatically. He says, the problem is when we start putting second things first, we lose contact with that first thing and then we stop enjoying the second things. What would it look like in your life if you put first things first? What would happen to the anxiety and the worry and the stress level if you said, I'm gonna put first things first and keep second things second? I think church, it would be absolutely life-changing. I really do. I was reading this book called Living Without Worry. It's a a book written, by Tim Payne, and uh, it's, it's a really good book. He, he talks about a friend of his who uh, is really anxious about flying. He has, a, he has a real problem about flying, a real fear of flying. And, and he talks about in the book that uh, when people hear that from his friend, they immediately start sharing Bible, ver- Bible verses with his friend about how Jesus died to defeat death and we no longer have to be afraid of death and, and death has lost its sting and all of this. And, uh, and so what Tim, Pan- Tim Payne says about his friend is that it's, that's really not his friend's concern. It's, his friend's concern was not about dying. His friend's concern was how he was gonna die. In fact, more specifically, His friend's concern was how he would look as he was dying. Now think about this. What his friend was really worried about, being on that airplane, if something were to happen to the plane and the plane was going down, Tim Tim was saying his friend was more worried about how he would look as the plane was going down. He He was afraid of what other people would thought of him as he was you know, potentially freaking out as the plane was going down. In other words, he was really more concerned about what other people thought of him, about his reputation than anything else. And so with the help of a skilled counselor and, and really the, uh, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, uh, Tim shared that 
uh, his friend really came to realize what the root issue of his anxiety was, that it was really his reputation and his pride. And he really came to a place of saying, you know what, I'm going to repent of this sin. And I, I have been putting second things first, but he made the commitment that it's time to put first things first. And, um, and he began to experience a greater freedom and anxiety in his, uh, over anxiety in his life. You know, I've shared with, with all of you uh, just in the past about my own struggle uh, with anxiety. And, um, and I've, I've, you know, just shared about that struggle. And, and praise be to God, He's really given me uh, great traction over, over uh, this issue of anxiety in my own life. And, and you may not know this about preachers, uh, but uh, the, the most difficult uh, part of a preacher's week is Sunday about one o'clock. So any preacher that preaches Sunday morning, the most difficult time in their week is uh, Sunday about one o'clock because you're always thinking about what you should have said and what you did say and how you could have said it better and how you left something out. And uh, so you're always thinking about that and kind of critiquing yourself. And, and the thoughts in my head are kind of like snakes on a plane. And, uh, and so, but it's, it's all good. It's a, it's, every preacher goes through it. It's, it's absolutely normal and part of the deal. But as I kind of think about my struggle with anxiety, uh, God has really helped me to see um, some things that, that, uh, that have really been impactful on a heart level. And uh, what I've really come to see is when I, when I start to get anxious, it's, it's really because I start thinking along these lines, wow, you know, if I could just preach a little bit better, we could, we could reach more people for Christ. If I could just be a better counselor, then we could reach more people for Christ in our church. If I could be a better leader, if I could be more creative, if I could uh, relate better to members of our church and to our staff, if I could just do all of these things, then, then our church could grow and, and uh, we could reach more people for Christ. And so really what that is, is this thought that if it's going to be, it's up to me. And really what it is, is second things moving in the first place in my life. And the Bible has a word for that, and it's called idolatry. And so as I've begun to see those patterns in my own life, I, I've, by God's grace, just learning how to say, you know what, I'm going to keep first things first and second things second in my life. And if I just focus on that, God will take care of the rest. And so it's really the gospel that brings me back to that. It is... It is the fact that Jesus was perfect for me, which frees me to be imperfect. Because Jesus was strong for me, that frees me to be weak. Because Jesus succeeded for me, then that frees me to fail. And so that's how the gospel sets me free. Now that doesn't mean that I, I don't worry about being the best preacher and the best pastor and the best leader that I can be. It just means this, that I trust God after doing all for the glory of God, that I place it in his hands and trust in him. And I think that's really the key to anxiety. So I just wanna, I just wanna leave you with this. Who is it that you're devoted to the most? Or what is it that you're devoted to the most? If God gave up his son for you so that you could have eternal life, surely he can take care of everything you need in this life.
Let me close by reading to you Philippians 4, 6 through 8. And this is from the message paraphrase, Eugene Peterson, of Philippians 4, 6 through 8. He says this, don't fret or worry. Instead of, instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and will come and settle you down. It's a wonderful, it is wonderful what happens when Christ dis- displaces worry at the center of your life. Summing it all up, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our church family, and I thank you for the Word of God that tells us, do not be afraid, do not be anxious. Thank you, God, that we can trust you, not only with our past, but we can trust you with the present and with the future. And so, God, help us to walk in faith. Help us to choose faith today. In Jesus' name, amen.